you know, I want God's best for your family. I want God's best for you and your, your walk. God's best for you and your kids. I, I, I don't want hand-me-downs or, or kind of it'll-do stuff for you. And, and I don't mean that in a prosperity kind of uh, pull God's arm and out comes a Mercedes-Benz for everybody. You get a Mercedes, you get a Mercedes. I don't mean like a word of faith idea that, that God just wants you, uh, you know, rich, um, but I do want to see you rich on the blessings of God, um, like full and sustained by everything he has. Oh, my goodness, I want my kids to leave my house being great deciders. Parents, if you're looking for kind of the mission and vision of you and your parenthood, I would encourage you to take on something that Jane and I have said for a long, long time, that we want to train our kids to be great deciders using the word of God as the moral compass for every decision that they make. If I can help my kids become great deciders, I don't have to be like the decider for them. Sometimes I've have, had to decide, no, you can't go out today because you're grounded, or I've had to decide, no, this is the better way, but I wanna train them up in the way they should go so when they're older, they don't depart from that. Great decision makers, that's what we're after, and, and I want this for you and your family, and so since Mother's Day till next week, Father's Day, we've been in this series, Warrior, because we're in a battle, we're in a war, and it's not against flesh and blood. It feels that way, it seems that way, it can sound that way, but there's always more at stake than just the next argument or getting the next word in edgewise. It's not just spouse against spouse. It's not just coworker against employer. There is, there is spiritual wickedness. There's darkness. The enemy wants to do nothing but steal, kill, and destroy you. And so the apostle Paul, while he's in prison, he's chained up, bound up in prison, but, but he is writing to the church of Ephesus and he's telling them, listen, you don't, you don't need to be thinking about all this battle between just you and, and, and flesh and blood. There's a spiritual battle and you need to be prepared for it. And so he says, because of this, you've got to put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, but when the day comes that's evil, you're going to be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything you can do to simply stand. Sometimes it's just wise to stand, it just, just to be faithful and stand. You do your part, let God do his and stand in the goodness of God. And the apostle Paul unpacks these different elements over the next several verses. At the end of Ephesians chapter six, he gives us all of these from the belt of truth to all kinds of prayers. We have unpacked each one of these each week. Today, we're locking into the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which the apostle Paul says, is the word of God. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. So my assignment today is to um, talk about what it looks like to wear the helmet of salvation and what it looks like to wield the sword of the spirit. Well, what does this really look like? How, how, do we, how do we put handlebars on this? How do we make this incredibly practical so you can apply this? It's one thing to get a sermon on Sunday, but, but I need something. I personally need the word of God to be like applicable on Thursday at 3 p.m. Like I, I want you to be able to leave here and chew on this and not just say, well, we had a sermon, we had some songs and whatnot, and you know, we, we just laughed at how dumb the devil was, and then we just went on and had roast beef. Like, like I want us to apply these things to our every single day life. 
So let's jump in today. If you're taking notes, you can look on the inside of your worship guide right there, some fill in the blanks. Some people have called us the blankety blank church. I, I, I don't know why, but maybe because we fill in the blanks. But, but uh, if you're, if you look, if you don't like fill in the blanks, you hate fill in the blanks, that's okay. Just, just, just write these things down anyway. Okay. <laughs> wearing, wearing the helmet of salvation. Wearing the helmet of salvation. Let me explain something that, that um, salvation is free and instantaneous. Uh, living free, learning, learning to live free can be a process. Your freedom is bought. Your freedom has been purchased. The gift of salvation is yours for the taking. Take it, receive it. Learning to live in it can be a process. The Egyptians that Courtney was mentioning earlier, they were exodus out of Egypt and God gave them this promise. I'm gonna bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I'm gonna free you from being slaves to them. Well, isn't that a little redundant? I'm gonna bring you out from the yoke and I'm gonna free you from being slaves because here's the deal. Even though they were brought out of Egypt, they were still thinking like slaves in the wilderness. Just because they had gotten out of Egypt, the Egypt wasn't out of them. And many times we can be saved, but we still have some stinking thinking. We have to learn to live free, and we've got to learn to wear that helmet of salvation, to really wear it and, and, and hang on to it and know and feel that assurance and security and also the awe and the wonder of what God has done living free. So, wearing the helmet of salvation, the helmet provides protection. I, I, I ride a bicycle. Do not ride a bicycle without a helmet. That would be what we call dumb. Like, oh, I can do it. Let me live my life. Let me live my life. Okay. <laughs> okay. You, you don't play football without the helmet. Don't get up and take an 85-mile-an-hour uh, pitch from, from a great pitcher without a helmet, like a helmet is there to protect you and the helmet of salvation, it's not an accident that there's something to protect our salvation, to take that protection, that protective gear on our salvation because the enemy is not trying to put a dagger underneath the breastplate, he's trying to deposit lies into your mind. He's not putting fangs into your flesh, he's putting lies into your heart. The heart you would think would be here, but the heart is really the, the Jewish way and the, and the original language way of saying the integration, the intertwining of our thoughts and our emotions and our desires. And the enemy wants to come in against your thoughts, against your emotions, and against your desires and deposit lies that some of us have continued to live since we were a kid. You're believing a lie that you weren't, that, that, that you'll never match up or you'll never, you'll never uh, uh, rack up enough wins or, or in order to truly be accepted, you've got to live a certain way or do a certain thing or be a certain person. And, and the enemy would love nothing more than to just deposit lies in your heart. So we have to protect our mind by living in confidence of our salvation. Put on the full armor of God that you take your stand against his schemes. His schemes aren't very creative. God's creative. The enemy ain't that creative. He's got pretty much three arrows. These arrows are like this. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Power, money, sex. Girls, gold, 
guns. I don't know. Like it's all, it's all, whatever it is, glory. That's what it is. Girls, gold and glory. Like, like it's all of those things. Like his, it's, it's, it's lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. He uses that against Eve. Watch. Lust of the eye. The fruit was pleasing to the eye. Pride of life. Good for gaining wisdom. That's the pride of life. And it tasted good, lust of the flesh. So she took some and she ate. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Jesus, water baptized, steps into ministry at 30 years old. Enemy comes in in the wilderness while he's fasting and praying, and he attacks him three different ways. Jesus conquers it by the word, the sword of the spirit, but it is his lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I'll make you ruler over everything, pride of life. Why don't you eat this bread? It'll be good, lust of the flesh. Do you see everything could be yours? Lust of the eyes. Like that's the way the enemy works and he wants to use those same tools for you. So when it comes to salvation, what I want to start with is just understanding, just understanding salvation a little bit better. But before we dive into this, I, I want you to, to know, and, and, and here's the deal, when it comes to the idea of salvation, depending upon how you're raised, depending upon whether you spent any time in the church or what kind of church you're in, the word salvation or being saved may be different to some people based on their history. So, so let me do a little bit of a survey in a, in a room this size. Um, how many of you, you grew up Methodist in the Methodist church? Anybody? Just put a hand up. Yeah, a couple people. How many of you grew up Episcopalian? Anyone? Okay, thank you. How many of you grew up Catholic? Any, any Catholics in here, all right? How many of you grew up Pentecostal? Okay, how many of you grew up Assembly of God, which is also Pentecostal, but, but a different kind of version of Pentecostalism, okay? Um, how many of you grew up evangelical free or non-denominational? Anybody? Okay, how many of you grew up Baptist? Oh, there they are. There they are with pride. Bless, bless God. All right, all right, easy. And here you are. <laughs> and here you are. You know, denomination is denomination. I, I, don't, don't sweat the denomination stuff. You know, uh, I can have a wallet and I can have a $1 bill, $5 bill, and $10 bill. It's all the same thing. They're just the denomination um, puts a different emphasis on what, what value that money is. And denomination many times will put a different emphasis on different things. The key is to live as Christ, to die as game, to know Christ, to, to, to know that he's the way, the truth, and the life. We can get all kind of caught up in all the denominationalism and this passion here and that passion there and what you exactly say when you're baptized and what you actually do over here. And if you, know, if you ever listen to a secular song or if you ever go to the picture show, we can make it all about all kinds of stuff. And we have, and we have. Um, let, let me give you just an example of wearing the helmet of salvation and many times what we can attach some things. So if you grew up Baptist, you may recognize this term, eternal security. Um, it, it's, it, we've also heard once saved, always saved. If you grew up, and that would be more along the theology that's called Calvinism. Then there's another theology from a theologian. Okay, so Calvinism is from Calvin. Arminianism is from a guy Arminian. Okay, and, 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 and this is more like absolute free will. 
So some people fall in the camp of um, once I'm saved, I'm always saved. There's nothing that can, ex- that can remove me from the hand of God. And then there are others that say, if you choose to step out of, from underneath the umbrella of his grace and out of the hand of God, you have absolute free will. You can walk away if you want to. The same way that Adam and Eve were completely in the most beautiful, purest form of world, they made a choice in that to step from underneath the umbrella of that grace. Now, here's what we're gonna do. I just wanna show you something that let's take eternal security, let's move it over here, and and let's take absolute free will, and let's move it over there, okay? Both of these can have beauty in them and also danger in them, and it's what we call extremes. You can take something to the extreme based on a way you were raised, and it actually can jack with your understanding of salvation, so let me tell you two extremes. Um, and, and you know, this. The, the, I really feel like the Holy Spirit wants to help somebody today on this. Um, this was something that I wrote down on a napkin uh, on, on a patio. Uh, and, I, and I really felt after talking with a few friends that the Lord really deposited this because we are such a eclectic group as a church that, that we don't want to um, uh, cold shoulder those that grew up in a different experience, but we, also, but we also don't want to just run full force into something else without having understood the nuances. Here are some of the extremes. In eternal security, an extreme can become that you can be cavalier with your salvation. That can be an extremist approach where cavalier is... Pfft, happy-go-lucky, no big deal, like I'm once saved, always saved, let's party, okay? There's nothing I can do, and so it just is what it is. Um, But then the other side, and this is where I grew up more, is like the extreme is condemnation, that instead of ever being saved, are you ever saved? Like you're wondering, like I wake up in the morning, and dear God, if I had, if I even, I mean, if I even dreamed a cuss word, I was going to hell, Okay, and, and absolute free will ended up becoming absolute insecurity. So instead of having eternal security, I, I kind of grew up in this idea of absolute insecurity, not knowing where I was. So, so here's, here's what I want us to do. Let's get rid of these extremes. We ought not to live a cavalier life in Jesus. Even though his grace, should you keep on sinning so that his grace can abound more, nor should you live a condemned life because there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. So we can't be cavalier, but we also can't live condemned. So let's do this. Let's kind of bring these two together now, okay? And let's get a a little bit better understanding of what salvation. There ought to be comfort. There ought to be a security in knowing that Jesus has paid for my salvation. And I've received that as a gift. And I have a comfort that it can't be stolen away from me. That, That ought to bring good news. And somebody, even if somebody does something, I, I am secure and I have that comfort. His grace is sufficient. But there are also all throughout scripture where Jesus invites us to a surrendered life to search our heart, oh God, and, and find anything that's not of you. I want, to confess, I want to confess my sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to confess our sins one to another so that you may be healed. And that is this conviction. Conviction is not a bad thing. Conviction's a beautiful thing. Condemnation's a bad thing. Shame comes from condemnation. Shame is not a, a, not a, a wardrobe of God. Guilt can be. Guilt 
that gets forgiven, but you still live guilty, that's shame and condemnation. But there is something about, mm, I should not have said it that way. Mm, I need to be thinking about that. Mm, I, I don't think that's the way Christ would want me to respond. I feel that conviction of the spirit and I wanna live with comfort, but also an open-handedness of conviction. And in the middle of this is grace and truth. 100% grace that God is gonna cover a multitude of sins and truth that sin separates us from God. And so instead of us trying to wear a helmet of Baptist salvation or Pentecostal salvation or assembly of God salvation, let's come to the 100% grace and 100% truth, living in the comfort and assurance as believers, but also the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I suggest that we try and live right in there. Like, like let's not try to go to just denominational doctrine, but when we're wearing the helmet of salvation, we're really living sure of our salvation and sensitive to what the Holy Spirit might want to, to tweak in our, in our hearts. Does that make sense, everybody? So wearing the helmet of salvation is not only providing that protection that I'm safe and I'm secure, but it's also association. The, the helmet provides protection and association. When you would see the Roman guard that Paul is writing about using as his, as his object lesson to put on the full armor of God, he's really describing Jesus because Jesus is truth. It's faith in Jesus. Jesus is your righteousness. Jesus is your peace. Jesus is your salvation. Jesus prays over you. Like it's all Jesus, but he's showing all of this to us in these pieces. And it's really uh, in, a, in a Roman army, you would have had a certain garb. But within that huge slew of army, there would be different companies or brigades or uh, you know, infantries. And so my company, my association, was easily determined by the plume on my helmet. In Roman garb, you would have seen most Roman soldiers with a red plume, dyed horsehair, okay? And that would mean I'm in, the, I'm in Caesar's army, okay? And they made that plume extra large so that any of their Roman soldiers that felt smaller, they still kind of towered, but like it made them feel taller and look taller on, on the battlefield, you know? Maybe, you know, mine would have been like 17 inch plume, you know, to, to help me feel better. But, but uh, that was if you were in the army. But if you were then in the cavalry in the Roman, in the Roman uh, army, you would have more of a, a light colored Plume. And that would kind of differentiate even the commander, the centurions could see who's, who is where they are and what kind of weapons they have at their disposal. So what does the helmet of salvation being about protection and association have to do? If you want to really deepen your understanding and live in that comfort and conviction, okay, you have to know the company you keep. You have to know what company you're in. Write it down this way. Associate with everyone. Associate with everyone. I have a hard time telling people what I do for a living. Um, 
I like to say I'm a part of a nonprofit organization that uh, provides uh, disaster relief and food education all across the world from water wells to schools. Um, we do self, uh, we, we do, uh, it's not really self-improvement, but it's finding improvement in our lives by taking next steps based on um, a, a, a Middle Eastern mystery book. Um, and, uh, and our prophet, uh, he lived, he was a Middle Eastern man and he lived in the Middle East and, and he, he had all these wise sayings and this is what I like. Oh, really? Wow, that's so interesting. If I say I'm a pastor, they go. <laughs> on the airplane, it never fails. Oh, I'm a, I'm a, they say, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. It's crazy. So I don't say it. I don't say it. Uh, I, I say, uh, you know, I do all those things. Um, I want to associate with everyone because the moment it can kind of, uh, it, it locks in, people automatically assume that um, they, that maybe I'm going to be judging them or that I would not kind of uh, know where they're coming from because uh, I, I kind of float through life in a perfect, you know, bubble. Um, I want to encourage you when it comes to salvation and, and really wearing that helmet, it's going to require you not to just wrap yourself in bubble wrap. you got to associate with everyone. There's a reason for your salvation, not just you. It's to let others know that truth. Let others know that goodness. Let others see what God has done. Associate with everyone, but, 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 and it's a big old but. Hang out with those who make you better. You can associate with everyone, okay? Hang out, spend time with those who make you better. And when I say better, it depends on what your definition of better is gonna be, okay? To me, we're on a working definition of becoming more like Christ. That's what better is really all about, becoming more and more like Christ. The Apostle Paul says, associate with everyone, but, but careful who you hang out with. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians. Guys, when I wrote to you before, um, I said, hey, don't mix with evil people, okay? I said, don't mix with evil people. Now, you would think that's an, an antithesis of hanging out with everyone, but look what the Apostle Paul says. When I said that, I wasn't talking about unbelievers who live in sexual sin or are greedy cheats and Thieves and idol worshipers. I, I, I didn't say don't hang out, you know, don't associate with them because like you can't live in this world without being with people like that. Some of you can't go to a family reunion without being with people like that. You can't go to work without being with people like that. You can't go to sleep in your own bed without sleeping next to someone like that, okay? Like you know, you know that. Like this church I want this church to have some, you know, unbelievers in it where you're kicking the tires, you're testing the waters, you're investigating the claims of Christ. It's okay not to be okay, uh, but, but, it's, but I want you to know, oh, it's, it's not okay to stay that way. And we wanna be the kind of church that brings people in as they are, not, not trying to get them all fixed and all their spiritual ducks in a row before they darken the door of a church. It's okay to associate with unbelievers. Here's what Paul says, what I meant, this is what I meant, you're not to keep company with anyone who claims to be a brother Christian, but indulges in sexual sins, or is greedy, or is a swindler, or worship idols, or is a drunkard, or abusive. What he's doing is he's saying, when you take on the helmet of salvation, it is an identification piece to who you are and who you're not. 
And it's not that you wrap yourself in bubble wrap and push yourself away from the world that desperately needs you, but there also is a differentiation. There also is like there's something different with, you know, we can have fun and we can joke and we can cut up and we can have emotions and we can have feelings and we can have passions, but we also come back to who our company is gonna be and what our guide is gonna be. Why is this so important? Why is this so important to be different? Because we become like those we hang with. You, you become like those you hang out with. I've said it multiple times. Dieball and Duncan, I know you can testify to this. Four words that radically affect every single person. Every person in this room. Listen to me, teenagers. Listen to me, senior citizen. I had these friends. Four words that will radically affect the trajectory of your life. I had these friends. Apostle Paul, again, in another place in 1 Corinthians 15, don't be fooled by those who say, well, might as well just go and have ourselves a good time. God wants me happy, right? Let us eat, drink, and be merry. What's the difference? I mean, tomorrow it's gonna die. I mean, you got YOLO, you only live once, YOLO. And that ends everything, so just like live it up, drink, like, like we gonna do it. The Apostle Paul says, uh-huh, okay, okay. If you listen to them, you will start acting like them. You listen to them, you start acting like them. Careful, <laughs> careful, watch it. Who are you listening to? In fact, here's some key questions that identify your company, all right? And I want you to, I want you to sit here for a second. I want you to really step away, step away from what you think is just here in a sermon today, and I want you to do some inventory of your heart. Are you ready? Here, here's a question for you. Where do I turn for advice? I want you to think about that for a second. Go through the Rolodex. Where do I turn for advice? Well, what kind of advice? Okay, financial advice. Where do you turn for financial advice? Think about it, okay? Where do you turn for marital advice? Where do you turn for physical advice? Where do you turn for emotional advice? I know that lots of people turn to usually the place that will affirm what they're already assuming. So many times we will turn to social media and here's what happens. Anybody ever seen this post? I'm so sick and tired. If they don't respect me, they can just go to you know where. Okay. Comment, 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 heart, anger, face. Oh, you go, girl. You tell them. Oh, I know. I've been there, done that. Prayer hands. Right? Where do we turn to advice? I turn to the place that's actually gonna more than likely confirm, not, not challenge me, but affirm my already held position. Okay, that's where I usually turn to advice. Especially if I have this, that, that little conviction in there that's like, ooh, I don't know if I should be doing this. Okay, here's another one. Where do I turn for approval? Where do I really turn? I mean, you can say it, parents, till you're blue in the face to your kids in this culture, can't you? Like, 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they say about you. You're a champion. There are gonna be people that are gonna treat you like that in life. It doesn't matter whether you're in seventh grade or or you're in 27th grade. You may have been graduated for 25 years. There's still going to be bullies. There's still going to be people that you're trying to uh, 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 get their approval. And as much as we want to say to those kids, it doesn't really matter. Like, who cares? You don't have to have those, the, the next nicest thing and drive that or have that upgraded iPhone for people to accept you. Although it really does tend to kind of be so shallow these days. It's always been that shallow because we live in a shallow world in a material world. And I am a material girl. And as much as it frustrates us for our kids to seek the approval of people that in your life, mo- most of you will not have a conversation with someone that you, that you thought was so close to you in high school, five years later, you probably won't have another conversation with them for another 15 years. You, 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 just, you, will, be, you will just begin to associate with different people and their opinion matters so deeply. And, but before we get on the next generation, just know, mom and dad, 42-year-old, okay, that we do the exact same thing with people around us right now, looking for advice, looking for approval. So where do you turn? What Jesus invites us to do is before you turn to anybody else for advice or approval, that you would turn your eyes on him. That your comfort and confidence and conviction come from him and him alone. That your stability and significance come from who he is and who he says you are. And that my, my first counselor, that my, my first decision maker, man, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be so so awesome if you could have like Jesus holding your hand everywhere you go into every situation, okay? Come here real quick, right there, yeah, come here, right there, yeah, you, I'm looking at you, come here, run up here, run up here fast, come on, get a hurry, hurry, give it up for her, give it up for everybody, come here, come here, come here, come here. Can I hold your hand, is that okay? All right, what is your name? Mackenzie. Hi, Mackenzie. You're so pretty. Uh, so, so imagine that Mackenzie's going to school, and and how how comfortable if Mackenzie was your daughter, mom and dad, that that when she got out of the car and you said, "Keep your hand in the hand of Jesus," Jesus got out of the car with her, just like this, like we will do, mom, and just like walking in to school with Jesus. What about Mackenzie turns sixteen and nineteen and is on her first date? She's on her first date. <laughs> Hey, you guys have fun. Um, by the way, dads, can we get, can we get off the, the dumb stuff of like, oh, better have your shotgun out. Um, like, the last thing you wanna do is just create an atmosphere where there's no, like, conversation. Where you've got this big stiff arm towards anybody's, look, I got a 19-year-old. I get it, right? But what, here's what I said to, to here's what I've said to anybody that's wanted to date my daughter. You don't date my daughter without an agenda. We still good? Is it okay if I keep holding your hand? Okay. We don't. I, nobody dates my daughter without an agenda. You have a written agenda. No agenda is the leading cause of a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, you got me. You got me. Okay. 
So Mackenzie starts dating, but every date she goes on, Jesus is with her. That's pretty cool, huh? Every job interview, every medical report, every ER visit, every, every night that feels lonely, that she can lay her hand out at, in bed and Jesus would just take Mackenzie's hand. I want you to know that is as real as the Holy Spirit is. The reason Jesus left and gave us his spirit is because in the flesh, Jesus could only hold two hands. But because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, he's with us. Wherever we go, holding our hand, being with us. And his hand isn't as sweaty as mine. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're awesome. Give it up for McKenzie. I want you to know that when you have the company of Jesus, he's got you by the hand. His spirit is with you. That's what wearing the helmet of salvation, having his company, identifying by who he is, that's what wearing the helmet of salvation is all about. Now let's go to wielding the sword of the spirit, which is not just like this whole idea of <laughs> Zaro, it's really just the word of God. The sword of the spirit, your, your mechanism for defense and offense is the word of God. It's all you need. You don't need a special jump. You don't need a special kind of Excalibur pulling it out of a stone. All you need is the word of God. And I'm gonna tell you, the word of God became flesh. All you need is Jesus. What does it look like to wield, being wielding the word of God? Well, the sword provides protection and forward thrust. It helps me move forward against the attack of the enemy to not feel like I'm always on my heels in retreat. The word of God is what, it, it is enough for you. It is enough for you. If it's enough for Jesus in the wilderness, I'm telling you, it's enough for you to, uh, uh, to be able to fight the three uncreative attacks of the enemy, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But that forward thrust, that, that focus like, onward, this is where we're headed, let's go, is not just about like the sword, it really shows that it's about our compass. That the word of God, our forward thrust, if I don't have the right compass, I can't walk in confidence forward, in a forward thrust, I can't walk there without the right compass in my hand. Now, now write this down. A good heart, but a bad compass, gonna take you to the wrong place every time. A good heart, but a bad compass gonna take you to the wrong place. <sighs> but he's so sweet. I know, he doesn't, he's got his own theories about God, and, but he treats me nice. He has a good heart. Let me say this to you in the Greek. Run! <laughs> like, don't. Like this, this idea of missionary dating I'm gonna be a missionary to them. I'm gonna bring them up to my level. Mm. Uh, very rarely does it work. Can it work? Yes. Is it advised in scripture? No, it's not. Um, look, my grandma, uh, woman of God, married a guy who was not a man of God. And her faithful prayers and God's convicting spirit got a hold of his heart one day and he radically, his heart and life was radically transformed and they raised my mom and their rest of her siblings in Jesus. But it don't always work like that. Don't think it's going to. A, bad, a good heart, but a bad compass gonna take you to the wrong 
place every time. What's a, what's a bad compass? Your newsfeed, your feelings, even your conscience. You look at your newsfeed, going to get you go, good, good stuff, but the bad compass just watching the news cycle. Your feelings, your feelings will lie to you. They'll just like lie to you. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. He's, he's, he's singing, he's singing about loving a married woman. His feelings are lie. They are wrong. They're going to get him shot. And then your conscience, the blue fairy takes a cricket that's visited Pinocchio, who's a wooden puppet, but he wants to be a boy. And the blue fairy says, you're going to be his conscience. And Jiminy Cricket's like, always let your conscience be your guide. Don't do that. Don't, 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 don't listen to talking crickets. Because your conscience is going to lie to you. You're going to think, man, I just, I, I, you know what? I just felt it in my conscience. I, you know, I just, I have a good conscience about it. My conscience is clear. It's going to be okay. Look what scripture says. 1 Corinthians 4. My conscience is clear, but even that isn't final proof. I know that God just wants me happy. I feel good about this. I mean, I never should have married her in the first place. And this is really what love is supposed to be. My conscience is clear. That's not final proof. That's not final proof. Okay. It's the Lord himself who must examine me and decide. That's, that's the compass. So with the rest of the time we have, how do I, how do I calibrate and get the most? How do, I, how do I get the most RPMs out of the right company and the right compass? I actually am gonna show you how to do this by taking one piece of scripture and just dissecting it piece by piece. And that scripture is the very first psalm. The very first psalm, Psalm 1, is uh, a psalm that was my very first portion of scripture I learned in memorization in fourth grade. And it's stuck with me ever since. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in its season. His leaf will not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. And I memorized that in fourth grade, and it stuck with me. And just because it stuck with me doesn't mean I always lived by it, but I had it memorized. I can have it memorized. You can have scripture memorized. The devil's got scripture memorized, but it's actually living by it, calibrating our life by it. So let's take this inch by inch. As my professor at Southeastern would say, he was from North Carolina, German, inch by inch, everything's a cinch. Yard by yard, everything's hard. So let's take this inch by inch. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, okay? I want, I want to show you a progression or actually a regression. Watch this. When I begin to walk in step with those that are not in the same atmosphere, it slows me down. It gets me off track. I, have, I, I lose purpose and I'm just standing in the way of sinners take and then I can sit. You ever been in the mall? You ever, not, probably not the Lufkin mall, but like a, a, a real mall. And, and uh, uh, <laughs> you ever been in the mall 
in like Houston area or something and you walk in and in the middle of the mall, there's these vendors and in particular, there's this one aggressive vendor that's in every single mall and, and they, they have a really tight black shirt and really skinny jeans on and they've got a sample like this and, and, and they say this, they say, can I ask you a question? Watch it, careful, because if you say yes, goodbye to the next 20 minutes of your life. Because you're walking, you will stand, and before you know it, they're washing your hair in some bowl. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. <laughs> you, you, stand, you, you, you walk, you stand, you sit. So I've turned it on them, you know? I turned it on them, so they'll stay, I say, can I ask you a question? Before they even ask me. And they're like, I, it kind of blows a fuse. All right. Who are you hanging out with? Where are you headed? You're walking, you're standing, you're sitting. When we sit at Jesus' feet, this isn't about just like oh, leaning into worship. This is about saying, I wanna learn from you. The more, the more that you associate with everyone, but when you hang with them, you'll start standing like them and sitting with them and somebody's learning something, okay? Now, don't do that, the Bible says. Instead, instead, the psalmist says, instead, their delight is in the law of the Lord. What does it mean to delight? It's not a word we use very, very often, is it? To delight in something. Uh, when it comes to the Bible, gonna take my Bible, gonna hold it tight. That's not how it goes. Take my baby and hold her tight. Gonna have some afternoon delight. I don't know what they're talking about. I really don't. <laughs> they're talking about spending time together. That, af that, that delight, that enjoyment, that, 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 that pleasure. What does it mean, okay? What does it mean to delight in the law of the Lord? Because that doesn't sound very delightful. The law of the Lord. Anybody ever delighted in keeping the speed limit? Like... <laughs> No, or, or, or with something, you know, you, you, you can't do that. No, go clean your room, you, you're grounded. Oh, I delight in that law. Because the law wasn't ever meant to punish you and confine you, it was meant to protect you and keep you safe, actually. So I delight in the safety that I have in the law of the Lord, in the word of the Lord. Here's what it means to delight, write it down. I want to know what God says about this. When it comes to my identity, when it comes to my finances, when it comes to my emotions, when it comes to my sexuality, when it comes to my future, when it comes to what I think about something and what God's word says, I want to know what God says about this. Many times people can get so far into debt that when the collector bill comes, they don't even wanna open it because they don't even wanna see it because it is not delightful because they don't even wanna know, because they feel if I just, if I don't know, it, at least it will kinda shave off a little bit of, of, of what it feels like to uh, have to deal with that. Many people, it's not that they're against God, they just don't wanna know what God says, because it means that they will have to change something. To delight is like, I wanna know if he wants me to change, because I wanna change if he wants me to change, okay? Scripture says it like this, if you want better insight and discernment and are searching for that, like you would for lost money or hidden treasure, then wisdom will be given you and knowledge of God himself. It's treasure for us. Have you ever lost something and needed to find it? I lost my, I've lost my kids in public space before and my heart just, just racing 
and I would do whatever I could. I'm not gonna like take a break and, 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 and drink an icy and then find them. I'm gonna search and I'm gonna be diligent because why? Because they matter to me. I'm gonna search like I would something that's lost, okay? So scripture says, instead of walking, standing, and sitting in the way of sinners, their delight is in the law of the Lord. And he goes on to say, and they meditate on his law day and night. Meditate day and night, night and day. Meditate on it, think about it, ponder it, stir it around, day and night. And for some of you, and even me, that can sound a little exhausting. Maybe a little hard to do. It's hard for you to even spend five minutes in the Bible a day, let alone meditate on him day and night. I don't even know if that's possible, Jeremy. Can I tell you something? Every single one of us have meditated on something day and night. Let me give you a simple example of someone who has hurt your feelings or offended you. When someone offends you, it is easy to meditate on that day and night. Like if I've offended my wife and she's meditating on that day and night, we can go to bed. Don't let the anger go down on your, on your wrath. I mean, don't let the sun go down on your anger, but still, sometimes, I mean, we ain't perfect. And I can feel it in the, I can feel it in the sheets, you know. I lean over, baby, don't touch me. She meditating on that day and night. But you know, when you meditate on something, you know what you do when someone's offended you? It's like you rehearse it in your mind. You rehearse it. Oh, they said this, and then I said that. And then other people, you bring other people in. Man, this is what they said to me. This is what they did. Can you believe them? And they said, and I said, well, and then they said, and then you know what I, and then I made them do this. Did you really do that? No, but I wanted to. (laughs) You've been there. I've been there. And you're, you're just rehearsing it, rehearsing it, rehearsing it. You know what else you do? You don't just rehearse it, you nurse it. You're like, I can't believe they did that. Poor me. I'm gonna write it on Facebook so people can give me a heart emoji. Girl, you ain't alone. Come over. Nurse it, nurse it. And sometimes it's legitimate. It can be legitimate, but you nurse it and nurse it. Or you curse it. You, cur- you don't rehearse it, you don't nurse it, you don't sucker. You know who you are? So, good news, you can rehearse it, you can nurse it, you can curse it, or you can reverse it, okay? And what do you do to reverse it? You don't meditate on that, you meditate on something else. You meditate on him day and night. What does it mean to meditate day and night? Okay. What did they do in the Bible, and how did God respond to them? Good, bad, and ugly, what did they do, and how did God respond? And I begin to see how people respond, and very similar, when the storms of life, they're scared, they even ask Jesus in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the Galilee Sea, Jesus, do you even care that we're drowning? Oh, I wish you'd get honest with your prayers, everybody. I wish you'd just dirty up your prayers a little bit. Stop feeling like you have to say, oh, dear heavenly father, in the name of mighty, we asketh thee. Like, get real with God and say, God, how come? Why not? Where are you? Do you even care? That's what the the disciples were, God honest with God. And how did God respond? Peace be still. He was with them. 
He, he provided a way out of the storm. How, how did they, what did they do and how did God respond? Scripture says all things happen to them, the, all these characters in the Bible that are real people as object lessons to you and me to warn us against doing the same things. They were written down so that we could read about them and learn from them and not keep making the same mistakes. And here were the results. So as we wrap up today, if we will keep the right company and keep the right compass, wearing the helmet and wielding the sword, here's the results. So let's go back to the scripture. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in steps, stand in the way, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, their delight is in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on his law day and night. And here's the promise. Here's the results. That person is going to be like a tree planted by streams of water. Years ago, when I felt like the Lord deposited in my heart that this church would no longer be a monocyte church or just one location, that we would become a multi-site church in the timber country of East Texas, it was gonna require a name change. Abram became Abraham, Simon became Peter, Solomon was also known as Jedediah, Saul, his name wasn't changed to Paul, but Saul had actually a, uh, um, a Gentile parent and a Jewish parent. And so another name that he had was Paul. He, was, he had a passport for both nationalities. And when he began to go beyond the Jewish people, he used a passport to reach people he could never reach before. And that was, he would be Paul. And this scripture that God planted in my heart in fourth grade, I, I do believe had something to even do with standing here at 42, that Timber Creek Church, that we would be the kind of church, Timber Creek, trees, timber, by streams, creek. That Timber Creek Church, that people that would engage by your own choice, it can't be what I do for you, but if you'll engage, that, that we would see these kind of patterns in our life. And here's the first one. If I stay close to Christ and other Christ followers, I'll have what I need when I need it. If I stay planted close to the streams of water of Jesus and I stay close to others that are there, I'm gonna have what I need when I need it. That's why we do what we do. We can have what we need when we need it and Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all you need, everybody. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. I wanna see the people, the men of God, the, the women of God, the husbands and the wives, the young and the not so young, the, the mature and those just beginning to explore Christ to, to have fruit in its season. What that means is I'm gonna be blessed at the right time. That I may not see it now and I may not see it tomorrow, but fruit in its season, I'm a fruit tree and I'm gonna bear fruit. And even though the limbs don't have fruit right now, it is in my nature to produce fruit. There's something that God has deposited deep inside of me. And, and the closer people get, when I begin to grow in him, there's gonna be fruit produced off the limbs of this old boy that, that's gonna be pleasing when people pluck that fruit and they eat it and it's not gonna be poison, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good and pleasing. They're gonna taste and see that the Lord is good because I'm gonna produce fruit in its season. And I'm blessed at the right time. That, that, that's, 
That's what God does as we meditate and delight. Whose leaf does not wither. It doesn't dry up in that East Texas heat. Number two, that means I can survive a drought. I want to see the kind of families at Timber Creek Church that bow a knee to Christ and live in Christ-like character, conviction, and conduct that are blessed in the right time, that can survive a drought because there will be drought in your life. Well, you're asking for it to rain and you don't see it rain. There'll be drought. Yield its fruit in its season whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And I believe that that person who doesn't walk in that counsel but is truly dedicated, delighting and meditating on him and who he is, they understand the pattern of prosperity. That prosperity isn't about making Jesus give you stuff. It's about that eventually and eternally you will prosper. Eventually and eternally, God's gonna show up and have his way. And you pray for healing and that healing doesn't come this side of heaven, your healing will come. It may be eternally, but it will come. I live this way. And not only am I someone who's in the Lord's army, but I'm actually royalty. I'm a son and you're a daughter of the king. Delight in that. When's the last time you delighted? When's the last time you've meditated? Completely impromptu first service. I had a friend on the front row and they were, did not even know I was gonna ask them to do this and I had them come up and I, I felt as though I was wrestling whether to do this again, but I, I, wanna, I wanna go ahead and do it again. I'll ask my friend Steve to, to come up here. Come on up, Steve. Will you give, give a hand to Steve? Um, <clears throat> so uh, Steve is relatively new to the church um, and new to Jesus. We sat with, uh, together at, at a coffee house a while back and he was sharing his story and his story just impacted me so much and it's impacting him too. And um, there's a tenderness and a delight in him that is, is so sweet. Uh, Steve uh, had an incredible encounter with God and was living a life chasing everything. Um, and, and, and Steve, just the same way we did it, we don't have a lot of time, but just kind of the high notes of you're living in New York, you're, you have a successful media and production company it's putting you in all kinds of rooms with all kinds of people. Uh, you were fashion week with Kylie and Kendall Jenner and uh, you're in, I mean, you're rubbing shoulders with these people and you've got the, the apartment in Manhattan. Starting from there, what began to happen? Yeah, so I was just kind of get, receiving everything that I thought that I needed in my life. I was in New York, traveling the world, um, going to celebrity events, and really finding that it wasn't what I had needed. 
I, I spent 10 years there and I was just pumping this well, um, you know, looking for the fulfillment that I, it just was fruitless. It was fruitless. It was, it was empty every time. And I was on a hamster wheel, just chasing these highs, trying to fit into communities, fitting in with people. And uh, I ended up losing my job because of the pandemic. And um, I ended up traveling across the country. I was getting into self-improvement and the Tony Robbins movement, self, 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 me, me, me. And I thought maybe that was the answer. And that migrated into new age spirituality where essentially you're just your own God. And thinking that that was the answer, but then, you know, seeing the, the darkness behind that, I was just so tired of deception. I was so tired of being lied to by the world. So a, f a friend of mine ended up she was in the same she was in the same boat she had a successful mediumship business she was pulling tarot cards for $150,000 a year just desperate desperate for, for the peace that she couldn't create herself so she cried out to God and he answered and Jesus came to her and he said you belong to me now so seeing this transformation in her, I grew up Catholic, so I had never even looked at a Bible and I didn't know the gospel. I didn't know the good news, but I knew I was tired of being deceived. So she encouraged me to get a Bible and I, I was on my road trip still and I ended up sitting down in Vancouver, Washington in a horsing campground of all places, sitting on a foldable chair by a picnic table and I was reading the book of John chapter 14 verse 1 he said do not let your hearts be troubled you believe in God believe also in me and his faithful forgiveness just drowned me I was awake and my eyes were open the scales were peeled and I saw the truth that the truth is him I was transformed in that moment, convicted of all of my sin, and then just poured into by his loving kindness. So I just, I wanna encourage anybody here that he can meet you anywhere. He's God, it doesn't matter. Whatever you've done in your life, wherever you've been, I've been in, I've been in all kinds of sin. I thought I was my own God just horrible things that I think I could never come back from, but he'll meet you there. He'll meet you there. And I also want you to know that scripture alone saves lives. He met me in a campground in the middle of the woods. It wasn't in a church. It wasn't in a building, but he was there. And just that he came to me not because I loved him, because I didn't love him. I turned my back on him so many times. 
but he came to me because he loved me. And he loves all of you. And he wants to be there for you. And he's holding your hand. Steve had walked and stood and sat in all kinds of places. But as he began to search out and seek out and look for a compass that wouldn't lead him to a continual dead end, Jesus found him there. He met him there. The scripture saves, and it's not because it's a book that you put a hand on, it's because the Word became flesh. And though all the love and the direction and the guidance of the Word is embodied in the person of Jesus. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me today? If you're here and you've been searching, You've had an idea of salvation, but maybe you realize it's not what you thought it was. And you need Jesus to save you. You need, you, you wanna invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to surrender your heart to him at all of our locations. If that's you, in a bold moment of just saying, yeah, it's time. For the first time or maybe a fresh time, I need to invite Jesus to be my savior. If that's you, just put a hand up in the air. I wanna pray with you. Thank you, thank you. Anybody else here? Yeah, thank you. I see you, ma'am. Yes, thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. They're in Dybal and Duncan and Nacogdoches. They're online. You can put your hands down. In your own words, you can simply say, Jesus, thank you for meeting me here. I believe in you and I want to follow you and I don't even know what all that means but I know that I can't keep being my own God and I can't keep being my own compass I want to follow you so I surrender to you today take my thoughts and my emotions and my desires and turn them to you I want to delight and meditate in you and I give you my heart today thank you Jesus as you continue to pray for those of you in our rooms, the truth is you, you love Jesus, you're saved, but if we're being honest, and I, I'm being honest with you, there are seasons in my life where I don't delight very much in his word, and I don't meditate in his word like I should. And I've let a lot of, a lot of other things be my delight, and a lot of other things be the source of my, med my meditation. If that's you and you've kind of been there too, maybe with a moment of honesty, you just put a hand up and I, my hand's up too. Here's my prayer for you now, that supernaturally Jesus would restir a passionate fire in your heart for him and only him. Father, I pray over the next 168 hours, this next week before we come back together again, 
that you would do what only you can do and you would do a supernatural work from the inside out, that we would pursue you, that we would be passionate about you, that you would delight us in no other way that any other thing can. God, that we would come after you, that we would begin to maybe evaluate the way we're spending our week, the way we're allowing things to come into our mind and into our eyes, not in a way that's like a condemnation way, but it's just in, a, in an inventory kind of researching way, like how much negative am I allowing in? How much of the world am I listening to? Where am I really getting my advice? Where am I getting approval? God, show me these things. Make my eyes open so that I can truly live the way you meant for me to live, and that is to live free. And he who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm free, but I've not been acting like it. And so God, today, I'm gonna delight in you. I'm gonna focus on you. I'm gonna turn my heart on you. I'm gonna rehearse it. And I'm gonna nurse my wounds with your scripture, not with my bad feelings. I'm gonna, I'm gonna reverse those things and I'm gonna focus on you, the author and the finisher of my faith. And I ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong, mighty son of God that became the word the word became flesh and you're among us and you're with us and if you are for us who can be against us we all said amen